Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. All right. Mark Crowley's my guest. Coming in at noon in a few minutes. Welcome aboard. If you're watching on YouTube, appears I need to shave. (laughs) And uh, all right. So, Mark Crowley, let's see. Oh, she could be a go for noon. Harvey Weinstein found guilty of two charges, Vanity Fair. Shocking. Turn my notifications off. How you doing? Not too bad, you? Good, thank you. Where are you? I'm in St. Catharines, Ontario. Niagara. Oh, I got a cold time, right? Yeah, it's eight degrees out here today, Celsius. That's almost a oh. hundred in Canada. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> nice day. Are you just coming in by audio today, Mark? Um, do you want me on video or are you recording video? Yeah, that'd be or? great for the upload later. I am recording it, yeah, so. Okay, all right, let me figure out how to do it. There you are, handsome. How are you? Where are you? I'm in uh, San Diego, outside of San Diego. Oh, no, beautiful. I was down in Orange County when I was out in California many, many years ago. We went to the Crystal Cathedral. What a place oh, yeah? that is, man. I, wow. I think that's Catholic now. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. I don't see Robert Schuler around anymore, I don't, or even Junior. I don't know whatever happened to those guys. They had more money, well, they say, you know, more money than God, but. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he went, they went bankrupt, actually. Yeah. 
<laughs> Robert Schiller Sr. died, and then um, then it sat vacant for a long time, and I think the Catholic Church took it over a few years oh, ago. So. Speaking of having money, I've never, I've never been in it. Oh, no? You're not a religious man? Um, I don't know what that denomination is, to be honest with you. Um, what, it wasn't Catholic. What was it when you were? Oh, uh, I would guess uh, Pentecostal. Pentecostal, oh, okay. Yeah, some, right. something along those lines, but I, I'm not really good with the divisions. I, I was just asking if you were a man of faith. Um, I'm, I was raised Catholic, so. Um, so no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I was raised Catholic as well, too. Never had a real good connection with my uh, faith until, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago. And I found, well, I got the church I go to now and serve at and assist with and look after the kids and I'm, I'm video director on uh, a couple shifts, you know, uh, I call it rock and roll pretty church. It just, you know, my, my pastor's like Tony Robbins. He, oh, you wow. know, he might give a speech like you would give and then kind of gently bring it around to scripture. It's not this, you know, this old beat, beat you over the head. Brimstone. Thing. Yeah. So thank you for your time. I want to keep you on schedule here. I promise I wouldn't keep you more than an hour. Uh, strange how you get into contact with people. I'm not sure exactly what this, conversation I'll bring but that that's uh, kind of cool in that respect as well I found you as I told you on Twitter by DM um, the landmark forum follows you man so you have to be an exceptional human being already <laughs> I don't even know what the landmark forum yeah, is that's what blew my mind I figured at least well I figured maybe you're a, a forum leader because uh, landmark education doesn't follow just anyone and I, I would think they're I think they're following under a hundred people and you happen to be one of them. So I followed a bunch of them and then I came across your profile and I saw heart centered leadership and that, that really spoke to me. I'm not sure what context you use it in, but I know you're in the financial industry or services industry. And, um, there's so, this is some really strange times. I was just at the grocery store and, uh, and there was a couple of ladies behind me and we we're just, you know, small talk at, at the cashier. And the lady behind the girl I was talking to said, oh, you're talking about the good old days. And, you know, we, we get in the habit of saying that quite a lot. And I think we forget that these are the good old days right now. We've never been more progressive, more rich, more informed, more educated, more tolerant against diseases, you know, despite what you hear on the news. And we forget, you know, like we always look back at these old times as, you know, some, somehow fondly. And forgetting that, man, do we have it good today? So it seems like strange times with the political division in the States. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, I, I went on a quest to try and solve the question of why, am, why are men and women so far apart these days and seemingly at each other's throats. And same with, same with the political left and right. And I came to understand, I think, that you know, I, I kind of made that assertion up that we're not actually more divided than we ever have been. It just looks like we are because the extremists have a huge platform and a voice. And the 95% of us in the moderate middle who share values all across the spectrum are looking left and right and going, would you guys shut up? Like, please, you don't represent me. And so it's some really strange times. So I appreciate your time today. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you've got. But the, in the age of Donald Trump and Gary V for lack of a, a better contrast, you know, there's, there's some serious truth out there and there's some, some conversations that we really need to have, I think. And, you know, I, I'm not a huge 
I'm a, I'm a 10 time Green Party candidate. It doesn't get any more left than that. But I'm also not 24 anymore. And uh, I'm not uh, possessed by my ideology as much as uh, I'll pat myself on the back for being open enough to shift my opinions on some of these issues as I get older. So I just wonder what you're bringing to the stage these days, what people are asking you for advice on what you might be coaching on, what, what your keynotes might, might be centered around, and some of the reaction to, to what you're doing these days. Maybe okay. you just start with a, a nice introduction. Take as long as you need, please. Tell me when you're ready. No, I'm, you know, I'm not big on introductions, so. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, just go, fire, fire, fire away. Just let us know who uh, and what you're doing. Well, I, I think the big picture is that, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit before um, started reporting that I'm really not in the financial services industry at all any longer. Uh, I spent, you know, almost 25 years in that industry and had two national level positions at one of the largest financial institutions in America, I was named leader of the year, and the bank was ultimately sold and I stayed around for about six months and was just repulsed and repelled by how the new organization was choosing to lead uh, you know, it'd be like buying a home that you've always wanted and then knocking out all the walls and spilling coffee all over the carpet. You kind of go, why would you, why would you buy this if you weren't going to take care of it? And so that's sort of a, a weird example. But the point is, is that how they were treating people was just not going to align with what I knew to be true. So I decided that I was going to use the next year to write a book and in the process of writing the book realized that I actually had something rather significant to say. So it started off as a, I won't say a bucket list. Uh, it, was, it was more substantial than that. I did believe that I had through the course of my career acquired an understanding of how to inspire people to do really great things. And I proved it through a course of a career and it didn't matter whether it was man or woman, you know, age wasn't an issue, education wasn't an issue, job, family wasn't an issue. What I was doing was affecting people so deeply, human beings so deeply that I started to put together a description of these processes, these practices, if you will, with the idea of saying, if you implement these practices, you're going to get the results that I got. And in the process of writing that book, a friend of mine reminded me how I learned these practices and why I manage people very differently. I mean, it's a brutal world. Sales environments and financial institutions is about as dog eat dog as they get. And to be caring about people and supporting people and nurturing people, that was my methodology, was completely out of sync with what everybody else was doing. But I got phenomenal results with it. But independently, um, what I didn't recognize was that in response to a rather corrupt upbringing, I had made an unconscious pivot when I started managing people to manage people in ways that I had not been given when I was growing up. And as a result of that, I was seeing the world very differently. And a friend of mine said to me, you're going to have to explain why this works. You're going to have to like go into greater detail. You just can't say do these practices and people are going to buy into it. You're going to have to explain why these practices, if they're so different, why everybody would want to do that. And he goes, you know, you, people are just going to think you need a shitty childhood and need in order to lead this way. And that was I mentioned it because it was so pivotal for me. I hadn't thought of it. I just thought people would take me at my word. And so in the process of recognizing that he was absolutely right, 
I spent another 15 months researching, trying to validate what I already knew to be true. <laughs> okay. All right. So, I mean, I already had the direct experience of it. You couldn't cha challenge it. But in order to persuade other people, I had to find evidence of it. And so I found a preponderance. I mean, it was almost like a landslide. You know, it was just an incredible amount of, of validation from all sorts of financial and uh, research in terms of employee happiness and engagement that was just emerging at the time that was absolutely fascinating in terms of how unhappy people are worldwide in their jobs. Um, and especially with their bosses. So we're talking about leadership here. I mean, if you ask people the greatest source of discomfort and unhappiness in their life, you know, 40 to 50% of people are going to say my boss or my work. And that's just not normal. So in the process of that 15 months, what I discovered is that there is science that shows at the heart. I always believed that I was affecting people in the heart. So I reached out to a world-class cardiologist, laid out my thesis, and I said, this is what I believe to be true. Could there be any medical science to validate this? Could I be affecting hearts? Or is that just, you know, am I just crazy? Or is that a metaphor? Mm -hmm. And so I went to meet her and she said, you figured out something that we're just figuring out in medical science, that we believed that the heart for hundreds of years was just a blood pump. She says, when I went to medical school, she graduated from um, a medical school in New York and uh, graduated top of her class, brilliant woman. She said, I was taught to look at the heart as if it was a carburetor. Like, don't get caught up in that being a part of hum humanity. Don't get caught up in anything, their soul or anything. It's just a car part. And she said, but, you know, in the process of treating patients over the years, I began to realize that anything that was going on in their life was affecting their, their health. So if they were going through a divorce or if they had you know, an alcohol problem or they had a really stressful job or a parent that they were taking care of that was creating an enormous amount of stress, she goes, repeatedly, I'd ask people to tell me what was going on in their lives and I found that they weren't all, you know, people weren't really in, in, enjoying great lives and having a heart problem. They were enjoying or not enjoying, they were having rather difficult lives which resulted in the heart problem. So she said, Really what it came down to is that their biography was affecting their biology, and that can't be true if it's just a pump. So she said, I want to introduce you to an organization that's been studying the intelligence of the heart. And so this organization, Institute of Heart Math, has been studying the heart for the past 30 years and the intelligence of it. And basically what they've discovered is, is that the heart and the mind are connected. Feelings drive our, you know, feelings and emotions drive our behavior far more regularly than we realize. We think we're rational beings. We pride ourselves on being rational beings. We want to hire the most brainiac people for leadership roles. But what people are responding to is here, not here. And so if you understand that, then that means we have to blow up our traditional leadership practices and adopt ones that are going to give people the experiences of positive emotions, positive feelings, because those are the ones that basically drive engagement, whether people are committed in their jobs, happy in their jobs, and doing great work. So, you know, I honestly think I've got a rather profound message here, and that's what I'm doing, is spreading that word. And you hear people now, you know, when the book first came out, people heard heart, and they thought, oh, well, I had to be a spiritualist or religious guy or just somebody who didn't get business, you know, enough. And now, starting to hear the word heart, but it's metaphorical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just sort of representation of more human leadership. 
and human isn't necessarily a good thing. We do some bad things as we were talking about earlier as humans. So it's really humane that we're looking for. And what we're really saying is that the heart and the mind are connected, feelings and emotions influence what our thoughts are. And if we have a boss who supports us and cares about us and helps us grow and makes us feel safe, you know, either psychologically and emotionally, recognizes us, appreciates us, leaves us feeling good about ourselves, then we want to reciprocate naturally and give back to people like that. And so this is the model that will basically restore engagement, job satisfaction, but it's also going to restore well-being if we adopt this because people are going to go to work and they're not going to hate doing it. And the payoffs have got to be huge there for efficiency at work, for healthcare costs, for all that kind of stuff. And Turnover, <laughs> absolutely. Training costs, I mean, you know, huge. So, and I'd like to go deeper into some of the distinctions you use in your training and your keynotes. Who were you a student of before you stepped on this path? You know, who were your leaders or who are some of the books you bought? Like for me, um, especially in personal development, I think everyone's copied Napoleon Hill back to whenever he wrote the book in the thirties. I mean, they're even the Tony Robbins is, these guys bring great value, but everyone seems to be kind of ripping off the core principles that Napoleon Hill had. And I saw that some of your uh, courses are being taught in universities. And I think, man, this is an opportunity that we're, we're losing all the way around from elementary schools to post-secondary education. We're just not training our youth for the real world out there. We're not giving them the real world experience. So I wonder kind of what your, was your foundation in discipline up until the point you stepped on this path of heart-centered leadership? Who were you studying? Well, I mean, I, I was an English literature, American literature major in college. So I'm a, I, I read a lot. And so I've had a lot of influences when it comes down to leading people. I think that uh, uh, Goldman's book on emotional intelligence was, uh, you know, a profound book. It's a very, the first 90 pages are painful to read because it gets into the science of the amygdala and, you know, it's, it's kind of rigorous reading. But then when you get into uh, an understanding of why emotional intelligence is sort of the first breakthrough that said, you know, that we're really more about being feeling people than we are. You know, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. We all believe that. We all sort of go, yeah, of course. And then you say, well, you know, we want some heart led leader coming in here. And unfortunately, you know, most CEOs look at that and they go, well, that's bullshit. What we need is smart people. We need people that can drive performance. I don't care how they get there. And they don't think about, the implications of caring about people. In fact, everything that I'm talking about is almost the antithesis of traditional leadership theory, which says pay people as little as possible, squeeze as much out of them as possible, basically take and take and take and take from people, right? And so I'm saying if you do the opposite, which people, a lot of people just still can't get their head around that you could be generous with people and that that's gonna reward you more than it would be if you try to squeeze people. Um, John Maxwell is another one who I think is, um, he wrote a book called The 21 Laws of Leadership. And uh, I'd say that's, that, that's an excellent book on leadership. Um, Spencer Johnson, who wrote Who Moved My Cheese, passed away as a good friend of mine. Um, that's a book that sold 45, 50 million copies, one of the most successful books ever about change. And it, ironically, it's all about the heart. It's all about caring. John Cotter's book on leading change is another book that uh, that I think is, is instrumental.
instrumental in saying he can't get, he can't, I've had a conversation with him. He's the Harvard Business School. One of the, I think he was the youngest Harvard Business School professor ever. I think he's in his 70s now, but he's a big deal and one of the most successful business books ever, ever, ever written. And he talks about heart. He talks about feelings. You have to manage people. How are people feeling about change? Not an intellectual, you know, this is going to help, help us get more market share or customer service scores are going to go up. People don't care about that. They care about, am I going to lose my job? Am I going to look, am I going to be diminished because we're changing things that I'm not good at? All the kinds of fears that people go into. Am I going to be working for somewhere else? Are they going to lay off people? All the fantasies that people go into. He says, if you manage those things and give people a, a firm understanding of what's coming, then they'll embrace the change. That's all about the heart. It's everything about feelings, not about an intellectual discussion. So Tell those me. would be some that I think, um, you know, had, had, a, had a great influence on me. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Um, uh, I'd like to get into the foundational principles of, of what you're talking about these days, but uh, you just hit on something that's key for me and something I've shifted over the years, even in my speech, is the difference between thoughts and feelings. We always say, I think this, I think that, but very often it's what we feel. I wonder how you distinct the distinction between those two and how it's uh, manifest in your work. Well, I think if you ask somebody, for example, um, if you if you go up to somebody and you say, um, "Tell me how you think we're doing here," you know, how 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 do you think it's going at work? You know, how do you how do you think people um, are doing here? you're basically saying to them, go into your brain and, and ask your brain to tell me what you think. So now what my head is doing is saying, what does he want to hear, right? Oh, it's, it's great, Bill. You know, you know boss, it's, 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 it's great. You know, everything's go. I think, I think people, it's okay. You know, I think we're doing all right. I think we're heading in the right direction. Now you say, um, hey, do me a favor. Tell me how you're feeling about work right now. Wow, what a difference. I mean, I mean, I hope that you just went there and automatically you realize that your outcome is gonna be something profoundly different. Absolutely. Profoundly different. And you know, there's a Maya uh, Angelou uh, quote about, very famous quote about that, that people really, for all intents and purposes, uh, remember how you made them feel. Right. You know, it's, and so, for example, if you were working for me and I treat you with respect, I ask you about your family, not just like, hey, quickly, what's going on with your family? But tell me what's happening. How was your weekend? What'd you do? What's going on with your sons? I know he's going into college. How's he doing? To take that time. A lot of managers think that's complete waste of time, bullshit, it's like cut to the chase. Let's talk about business. You know, you can talk to your friends about that, but I don't have to get into that. But what people are feeling is, hey, I matter to this manager. I matter to him. I, he's asking me these questions. He's giving me his time or she's giving me this time. They're asking me about what's going on in my life, which means they're willing to go there as opposed to say, where are you on your numbers? You know, when are you going to meet the goal? When's the project going to be done? If you go to the personal side and allow people to be who they are and, uh, and basically say, hey, I know you've got an elderly parent at home. How's that going? Well, you know, I have to leave a little bit early today because I've got to get home and get her to the doctor. You know, some doctors are like, hey, look, leave your troubles at the door, man. I haven't got any time. Yeah. For you know, 
And so it's those kinds of accommodations. So back to the, the Maya Angelou quote, if you create this environment where people are feeling like all of their needs are being met, their human needs, they're gonna remember how you made them feel. And then when they have a challenge and it's like, do I stay here on a Friday night for another half an hour to get this done? Or do I go home and not worry about it and get it done on Monday you know, after I've had a weekend because I don't really care? And that's a big difference in organizations because it's not necessarily a Friday to Monday, it's a Wednesday to Thursday and it's those accumulate. So if people are willing to, you know, this is, this is a legitimate exp expression, it's not mine that people put their heart into their work. There's a reason why people put their heart into their work. And it's often because of how they're treated, not because you know, they just love doing the work. You're, you'll find that there's always gonna be somebody who doesn't really care about whether they have a bad manager or a bad work environment. They just like what they're doing and they're just gonna do it independently. But that's a rare number of people. Most people will do great work when they feel like they're being valued, supported, that they matter. And sorry if I'm uh, asking you to repeat yourself here, but um, what do you consider the, th you know, some of the top, maybe the top three foundational principles that you're basing your work on in your keynotes and, and the work in, in your books and stuff like that? I'm not sure I understand the question, to be honest with you. Well, you've, you've got some, uh, I get heart, heart-centered leadership is kind of your focus. That's what you're calling it. I get the difference between heart and mind, but you know, the sub aspects of it, maybe the principles that it's, the foundation is built upon. Well, um, are you talking about the science or are you talking about the practice? Well, maybe like, the concepts you... or, yeah, yeah, concepts more than anything, I think. Is but, I mean, we give lip service to a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about in business. So, okay. for example, if you were to go up to a manager and say, is recognizing your people important? Um, you know, is, uh, you know, expressing it to people. Hey, you're doing a wonderful job. I really okay. appreciate you being part of my this is this is directly saying you're doing wonderful work. I want you to know how much I appreciate it. I'm really glad you're on my team. Being willing to express that, mm -hmm. and so you go up to managers and you say, "Is recognition important?" They go, "Yeah, it is." And then you go to the people and you say, "When was the last time you were you know heard anything in terms of you know that the manager is happy with your work?" And they go, "You know, basically it's you know I hear when things aren't going well, mm -hmm. right?" So there's this huge disconnect. People understand it intellectually, but they don't understand the impact on people. And so if you're not really truly authentically appreciating people, so I gave a classic example. Um, I said, you know, in a tweet recently that one of the things that managers would be wise to do before they leave every night is to say thank you to everybody. And so that sounds like, like a low bar. Right. I mean, you would say, hey, thank you for, you know, good day, everyone. See you tomorrow. Right. How hard is that? And I got pushback. <laughs> you know, this guy saying to me, have you ever read B.F. Skinner where he talks about intermittent reinforcement and that you don't always say thank you? And I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm up against is this narrow minded that somehow people are going to be spoiled or ruined or get soft around the middle when you thank them. It's the other way around. You know, you go home and you say, hey, my boss said, thank you for a good day. He said, you know, he saw my project and he's really happy with it. And then that gets spread into the family, that gets spread into their whole body. They feel like, hey, this really matters. And they can't wait to get back to work tomorrow. And so, but the guy who's bringing up B.F. Skinner, what he's basically saying is, here's an argument for why you don't want to thank people. And this is completely crazy. 
I mean, and we, we, we treat recognition like we have to go into our own pocket to do it. You know, like it's going to cost me something. Mm -hmm. And I found in my experience that basically you can't overappreciate people. They don't, they don't take advantage of you. They don't go, oh man, this guy, you know, you know, anything I do, I could just basically show up and not do anything and he's thanking me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, hey, good job, everyone. Thank you. I know it was a lot of hard work today. Good job. We'll see you tomorrow. What is so hard with that? Or to go up to people and say, hey, you know, I see how hard you're working on this project. I know you probably won't have it done for another couple months, but you know, where you are right now and the progress you're making, the ideas that you've put together so far, really good. Keep at it. People love that. It goes to here. And the, if you buy into the idea that the heart is motivating people's performance, it's when people don't get that, that they get into their own fantasy of, does my boss think I'm going fast enough? Does my boss think I have good ideas? You know, if I go another two months and I deliver this project and he doesn't like it, what's going to happen? And so why not invest along the way? invest in terms of effort and reward people for where they are because it propels them to doing exactly what you want. You want people to meet their goals. And all we think is, well, you know, we get to the end of the quarter, I'll give them some recognition. And I'm like, well, okay, but that's, that's not very good management. It's just simply aligned to the science. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so that's I, an example. I, yeah, I really hear what you're saying there is effective communication and responsible communication and I mean responsible in the literal sense I think we use responsible way too often these days without actually thinking about what it is and and I think we in mass in this age of mass social media it, I think we consider I think most people consider themselves to be good commu communicators and we're in the minority and I think there's even fewer of us and I put myself in this class because I really work hard at this is no, no, gratitude, which you mentioned already, absolutely important. But more important, I think, uh, uh, provides a deeper understanding and a feel uh, for the words is the impact. Okay, so thank you. Here's the impact on me. Be because of your actions here, and here's what I get out of it. And, and it can work both for positive and negative because I think uh, some people don't often, one, they're never appreciated. They're never praised and they're never given gratitude for, you know, sometimes it's easy to say, well, thanks for doing this, but very seldom are they, does the person thanking them follow them up with the conversation of, and here's what it's, here's the impact on my life. Here's why I'm grateful for having you here. And I think that's, this all goes into this concept. I think of what you're describing is effective, responsible communication, which in my world, um, takes into consideration the impact. And, and similarly, if you've got a beef with someone and you say, you know what, you said this the other day, I, you probably didn't meet it, but here's how I heard it. Here's how it landed on me and the impact on me was this. Now, you might not have intended for me to take that to my boss and my world and my children and my family and all that kind of stuff, but it did. And people, I think when they get, number one, when they're praised properly, and when they're acknowledged for the impact, they can take pride in it and they can also look deeper into like what is driving me to say something that, I, that I'm kind of oblivious to the, to the bottom line impact in somebody's world. And I, I think we could do a better job at that. Well, I think that, you know, it's not just the impact on you as the boss in this scenario, but it's the impact on the organization. So if, 
you are working on a project that's going to take you three months. And at the end of first month, I look at what you're doing and I go, look, this looks great. Congratulations. Keep going. Um, now you're happy because you're saying, okay, he's on track. He's going to get this thing delivered. And so you say, thank you, Mark, for getting this, you know, on track. I'm really happy with what you're doing. This looks like it's going to be great. And I want you to know that that means I get to meet my goals. My boss is going to be happy with me. So thank you. But the next step of that is to say, but because that, you're helping our organization meet its goals. So when our company is thriving, if our stock price is up or we're getting new customers, those kinds of things, you're playing a role in that. And so this is another component of this is to make sure that people feel that their job is meaningful, that people know what they do, that they are valued for what they do, but that it really truly has an impact on society in some way whatever it is you're doing, you know, whatever business that you're in. If your work is online, then you're helping this organization succeed. And if this organization's mission is X, you're helping the mission, you're helping the organization meet X. And that is even more powerful than saying, you know, I'm happy because I get to tell my boss we're on track and I look good or I feel good. So it's, it's important to say the boss is happy, but it's even bigger and more important to say, this is going to be good for the organization. Because then when you go out in the streets and you see the signs with your company's name, you go, I'm part of that. Like, that's who I am. You know, that's my identity. And people feel good about that. So what other pillars of foundations are, would you consider? I'm hearing the first thing you talk about, and it seems like it's right, right in perfect line with what um, you're speaking about these days is responsible, effective communication. We can do much better. You know, as far as, you know, uh, telling people how we feel and what it means to us, what are some of the other pillars of, of uh, psychology or whatever you're built, you know, this heart-centered leadership on? Well, um, you know, I think what we've known from research is that the single greatest driver of engagement is an answer to the question of, I feel like I am in the process of continual growth and development. Can you, how strongly can you answer that question? And so what people are looking for in exchange for work is much more than a paycheck. And one of the key drivers of engagement and not only just engagement, but happiness and whether or not you retain people is whether or not they feel that they have a boss that is coaching them developing them, teaching them, giving them opportunities to learn beyond what they would naturally learn just doing their work. And so you have one mentality that says, well, we can't afford to do that. You know, we don't have the money to train people or we, you know, if you train them, they're just going to leave. So you've got all this defensive resistant methodology saying, you know, we can't do that. And I'm saying, the more you invest, if I actually believe that we should take the word manager out and replace it with coach, that we should have higher coaches in business. And the idea is that a manager is sort of pushing you to get things done, has an orientation of, you know, I'm responsible for the company and I got to keep my hand on you. You know, I've got to kind of drive you. Whereas a coach has an orientation of, I want to help you get better so that you can go perform better. It's a very different idea. You yeah, know, it really course, takes the us and them out of it, right? It's much, so much, more, more much, much, much more, right? So if I'm your coach, where's my heart? It's with yeah. you. You're on my team. Right? Right? 
if, if I'm a manager, where am I? I'm with the company, right. I'm with my boss, right? And people feel that. So if you said, I'm going to coach you. So I, when I was a manager, you know, I would, I, you know, you, you asked me about what books influenced me. Um, you know, I've got thousands of books that I've read over the course <laughs> of the years. And what I did through the course of my career was every time I read a book that I thought was valuable, I would literally spend the weekend and type up the notes and then bring them in and give them to everybody wow. so that they didn't have to read the book. And then I would pick some books and we would read them as a team. And then like in the old days of elementary school, I'd line them up against the wall and we would have like a spelling bee, but instead oh, of the nice. spelling bee, it was, okay, you know, John Maxwell said this, mm -hmm. um, you know, give me your best definition of what this means. And then, you know, the last man standing won the prize, right? Cool. And I saw people completely transformed by something as simple as that, you know? So this is just, it's an orientation. You look at, you look at for example, in sports, you know, the coaches, they don't call them team managers. They call them coaches, but they are managers. They're recruiting. You know, they're making sure that people are going to class. These are talking about college, you know, college um, coaches. They're, you know, they're dealing with the administration of the university and ticket sales. And I mean, they have all the range of a manager, but they call them a coach. And at the last minute, you know, the other thing is that they don't compete with their players. So, you know, you, you, you got a game that's in, in the second half with 30 seconds left and you're down by one point and you need somebody to score. Coach doesn't go, you're out, I'm in, I'm going to go make the lash, right? And that's what happens sometimes in business is that people do all the work and then the manager goes into the meeting with the boss and says, you know, this is what we've been working on for a long time and it makes it look like the manager's been doing all that work. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that just bothers people deeply and it's a lack of trust and trust is the cornerstone of leadership. So if you have somebody that has an orientation, if you just told people you're a coach now, not a manager, mm -hmm. you're going to shift people's behavior on their own. They'll figure it out on their own. Mm -hmm. No coach is sabotaging their players. No coach is, you know, making people feel fearful or doubtful. They're encouraging, they're supportive, they're inspiring. It just, naturally is going to draw out a very different behavior. What's transformation mean to you, Mark? I mean, we've seen people literally, and I hear the passion in your voice when you say, I watch them transform before my eyes. It's, you know, it's almost like popcorn popping. You Suddenly you get it. There's a, uh, for lack of a better comparison, like a paradigm shift where you have a complete change of feelings or thoughts that leads you to a better place. So when you talk about transformation, what are you, what are you talking about? I mean, it, it, it's really two definitions of it. Transformational for me in a big sense is moving away from what we've done for over a century in terms of how we manage people to a completely different model. I mean, there's, there's, it's binary. It's like everything that we did before, we don't do that anymore. I mean, you hold people accountable for results and, you know, you give people goals and those basic kinds of management things. But in terms of how we inspire and motivate behavior, it needs a complete transformation, hence transformation. The other is, is that, um, you know, if you look, you're, you're up in Canada. I'm an American college basketball fan. And mm -hmm. so I, I watch these teams. And it's really kind of fascinating to me that it's the same coaches year in and year out who repeatedly win. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, there's a college in Spokane, Washington, mm -hmm. 
Gonzaga University. And they're in the top 10, and I think they've got like 7,000 students, right? And so you look at schools all over the United States that have 35, 45, 50,000, and they don't win. And you think, well, you've got all this draw. You should be able to, right? Get a, and Villanova University, Jay Wright, who's the, he's won two national championships. He was named the, um, the greatest coach of the decade in America um, just recently for because he's won two. But he's, he repeatedly has these incredible teams. And guess what? they also graduate the highest percentage of people. Mm -hmm. And so you look at that and you say, well, why would he care about graduation rates? All he should be caring about is whether they win. But if you have a student who's on your team, they're student first, right? After they get done, if they don't go to the NBA, which is like a very small number of people, they have to live they have to go thrive in their careers and if they didn't get the degree all that year of basketball isn't going to get them a job and so what he says is if you come here i'm going to make you successful in all aspects of your life that's transformational and people feel that so why does he have all this talent wanting to come to this college because they're going to be winners they're going to have a coach that cares about them. If they're struggling in school, he's going to find a tutor for them and help them get back on track. He's going to make sure they graduate no matter what. He's going to be caring about them, know what's going on in their lives, know their stories. This is a very different orientation in business. So there's a transformation. When people go to school and they suddenly are, are reporting to a coach that cares that deeply, that can really change their life, as you said, that's transformational. So it's a big word, but it has, you know, it has more than one meaning, but those are the two big ones. How are you finding the acceptance as far as, uh, you know, we're all stuck in our ways. And I think the, the higher up the ladder, maybe the more resistant we are to change, you go as far as, you know, the CEOs, he's been doing things a long time, decades this way. And you come in with a brand new uh, concept or, or advice or philosophy and you know how how much resistance you're feeling that and as an example like I see leadership everywhere because why well, I'm a leader I'm a teacher uh, it doesn't matter if I'm mentoring kids or in real estate or coaching or what have you it's sometimes in, in small ways sometimes so in my life I see leadership everywhere uh, but I also see where it fails I'm also a very natural critic so uh, for example at my church now, my leadership is unbelievable at my church. And you can see it in the parking lot. You can taste it in the coffee. And I mean this literally. Like the instructions that leadership has handed down get carried out so efficiently that that heart-centered leadership is in the parking lot with the guys that are the first people to interact with the people coming. And like you can feel the leadership everywhere. And then I also see where it fails. So I wonder how often you come up against uh, you know, a brick wall and how you're able to get around that. Maybe some of your successes of people that you never thought you could touch that switched everything and said, thank you, Mark. I'd love to tell you that there's plenty of those, you okay. know, but there aren't. Um, and, wow. the, and, the, and, and the real reason I figured out is taking me a long time to figure it out. But the, the reason is that um, let's say you're 50 years old. And you've been, you know, managing people and growing in your career, and now you're the CEO of a company. And so somebody's coming in and saying, "Guess what? The way you've been managing isn't working." What got like, you here isn't going to work any longer. And they're like, 
What do you mean? Uh, I'll take my chances. I'm the CEO here. So, you know, <laughs> I don't really need to change. And that got me results. And I know that this works. So why would I want to change? Right. So uh, the foundational idea of my book and my whole teachings is that if feelings and emotions drive behavior, then we've got to give people the experience of positive feelings and emotions because those are the ones that drive the behavior that we're talking about. We know this. Scientifically, we, this has been proven. Um, but we've managed with fear and intimidation for a really long time and gotten results out of people. And so the idea that you could change, just go from this to that, it doesn't have a whole lot of appeal to a lot of CEOs who built their career by at least doing it the traditional way, right? So when my book came out, I thought, well, I have a profound enough idea that people are just gonna go, oh, he's right. We need to make that shift. And instead, I got profound resistance. I mean, I had a woman that I paid $10,000 to to help me strategize because I came out of financial services, I wrote the book, no one knew who I was, I had no platform, and I was looking for guidance on how to get my word out. And she said, first piece of advice is don't ever use the word lead from the heart again, like ever, <laughs> like, you know, and, uh, but she said it much more forcefully and with a major curse word in there, like mm -hmm. I'm telling you, don't effing ever do this again. Passion. She and, did uh, like passion. You know, and I asked her, I said, did you cash the check? Because <laughs> I'm stopping. <laughs> um, but what she was trying to tell me was, you're going to be met with a lot of resistance. And she said, you know, call it killer engagement and talk about the heart <laughs> in the last minute. And I said, well, that just doesn't align to what I know to be true. So I got to own this and let for the world, let and wait for the world to come to me. And that's what's happening now. But I'll tell you, the other epiphany that I had was, okay, do I have to wait for the 50-year-old guy to die or retire? before these organizations will change? And the answer is no, gratefully. Okay. And you want to know, you want to know why? It's a bit of a, it, it might surprise you. Well, because you can get to the people under them? Yes, they're, they're the ones, that's exactly it. They, they don't want the way that you and I were managed. They don't want that. In fact, they're, they're so repelled by it that if they go into an organization and they find it, they quit. They'll leave. They don't care. I don't, I've been here for six months. I hate this place. I'm not staying here for 20 years. That's what we would do. We'd go, well, we're stuck with a you know, bad boss or a bad company, and I need a paycheck, and I'm just going to suck it up. Instead of saying, it's a big, wide world out there, and I'm going to go find something else. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is, is that the generation, the really, it's the, it's the um, millennials, but even more so Gen Z. They're just coming into the workplace, and they just need, they're, they're like, I hate to say it, but they're, they're limited in some ways. And they're limited in the fact that their parents paid much more attention to them. They got much more, you know, love and attention, direction. And so they go to work and they're crippled without that, you know. They're not special anymore. They're, so, they're special. But, you know, you can say, okay, so are you going to say, well, then, you know what, grow up? Or are you going to say, this is a whole generation and so I'm going to, I better meet their needs in order to get what I need out of them. That's a wiser approach than to say, Hey, Hey, Gen Z, grow the hell up because I'm not your daddy and I'm not here to, you know, support you. Well, those people are going to go, okay, goodbye. Mm. And you're going to say, well, I can't attract those people anymore. And you go, well, you know, they're not like me, but that's the whole point is that people are, are evolving and they're changing 
then if we want to attract them, if we want to keep them, if we want to keep them working, we're going to have to match what they want, not what we think we, we should be giving them. It's a big mind shift. Mm. I know you're not a doctor or scientist. Can you speak to some of the science that surprised you when you started digging for proof for what you knew to be true already? You had, you know, results in your career and your life and seeing the impact on other people, obviously. And, and, and then you said, well, I, I really, I need to go find the proof so I can bring the stats to people. And did you, when you started talking to these car, cardiologists and whoever else doctors you were talking to, what's some of the science that kind of blew your mind that you were like, what, really? I, well, I, I started talking about this because, so um, I had this conversation with my friend that I mentioned and he said to me, he goes, you know, you're going to have to explain why this works. Otherwise people would you know, think that you needed a shitty childhood in order to lead this way. And so what he did was he forced me to realize that I had an incomplete book, that I needed to explain why you know, this worked. But because I hadn't done that work, I didn't even know myself. Right. I, I mean, right. So I just knew if you did these things together that they had a great impact. I wasn't saying I understood why, but that's what he was challenging me to do. So I started thinking about it, like, what was it happening? What was the outcome? What was my impact? Why did this work? And I realized that I believed I was affecting people in their heart, that I was making them feel so safe, so supported, so cared for, so nurtured, so loved, and in a very professional way. While, by the way, being extremely demanding, setting very high expectations and getting incredible performance that was significantly greater than any of my peers. And so my career is going like this. And so I'm getting all these results and I'm not really thinking anybody's managing differently than me. And my friend, when he asked me that question was basically challenging me to say, why did you get those results? What were you doing to people that was different? And I believed I was affecting their hearts. So I reached out to this world-class cardiologist and I walked into her office. She didn't even get out of her chair. And I just walked in and she looked at me and, she, and I, I just sat down and she said, Mr. Crowley, you figured out something we're just figuring out in science. I didn't know what she was going to tell me. I had tears coming down my eyes because I knew she was about to validate my entire life story. Wow. And so what she said was, we believe that the heart was, you know, they opened up the heart two, three hundred years ago, mm -hmm. and all they saw was the bumpity, bumpity, bumpity. They didn't have any science or any way of measuring or evaluating the intelligence of the heart. And so it was decreed that the brains where all of our cognitive ability is, and this is just a pump. And so now what they know is, and this, this started with my discussion with her because she had written a book called The Heart Speaks, and some of the science was in there. So she had just finished reading, write, writing this book. So it was very much, but she was like, I'm amazed that you coming from, you know, financial services would have any interest in this, but also had figured it out, right? Wow. And so she introduced me to this, the, one of the co-founders of an organization called the Institute of Heart Math in Northern California. And they have been intentionally studying the intelligence of the heart for the last 30 years. And so... I'm not a, you mentioned you're not a doctor or a scientist. I took biology for non-majors in college. So to talk about the science of the heart, the CEO of the company mentored me. And so we had several discussions. I told them what the book was. And basically, they just laid it out that the heart and the mind are connected, that the heart sends more communication to the brain than the other way around. 
and that these signals are influencing us. So what you're feeling right now is you're either saying, I'm really fascinated by this guy, or I think the guy is full of crap, you know, whatever is, that starts here. The feeling is here, and then the thought happens, right? So how I'm creating the feeling with you is an energetic thing, but the mind is interpreting what that signal is. That's kind of a fascinating thing, right? So if you have a boss who says, hey, I'm going to call you tomorrow. I want to talk to you and see how you're doing. And then they don't call. And then a month later, they say, hey, I'm going to call you tomorrow. You kind of have this feeling inside of you that that person is not trustworthy. They're not going to call. And even if they do, they don't really care about you and all of that kind of stuff. And so this, when I mean, I, I honestly... In that one meeting alone, before I even met with um, the CEO of HeartMath, I realized my life had just changed. I realized I'm not talking theoretically, I'm talking literally. I'm saying I was affecting the hearts, and not only was I affecting the hearts, but you need to, because this is what's going to drive the performance that you're looking at. Wow. That's, uh, well, agree. I could talk to you all afternoon, Mark. I really appreciate your time. Maybe just logistically, you talked about some of the things you put into practice. Uh, I heard uh, communication. So maybe, maybe they turn into chapters of your book. And, and I'd like you to give uh, the listeners and viewers also an idea how they can get the book, what it's called, and where can, they can buy it. So advice for people. I don't want to give you to give the whole contents to your book away, but just some practical things that we can, we've talked about, some very practical things that you can do in your life and leadership, but maybe some other things that fall underneath uh, some of the effective communication as far as... Uh, I think, I mean, like, like you said, I can't, I can't just recapitulate the book, um, I, but, I, you know, and we've talked about several of them. I, I think okay. one of them is that um, I, I think just the big takeaway that I want people to understand here is that um, there's so much science to 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 validate this now. Um, there's a, a professor at Wharton who is saying, "Hey, you leaders need to be paying much more attention to emotions." than we've ever, and this is at the Wharton Business School, and they're talking about this now. And they weren't five years ago, they weren't three years ago. Um, her, her name is um, Sigal Berse, I think, and she's now laying this theory out that emotions really have a much bigger impact on people. That's my thesis, right? So um, then, then you've got um, uh, Antonio Damasio, who's a world-class scientist. He was at the Salk Institute. He's now a professor emeritus at University of Southern California. And he has shown scientifically that, the, you know, that, that we have feeling, sensing organs throughout our body. You know, you, you'll hear people say, you know, trust your gut, follow your heart, you know, follow your heart and trust your gut. It, there's, there's intelligence throughout your body. Your body is feeling and responding. It's not just the heart, although principally that's the big organ, right? Um, it's also the organ that represents us as humans. Uh, you know, when we think about, when you say, you know, what organ would you pick that represents humanity? You wouldn't go the liver, you know, the spleen, no. right? And you, men you mentioned the soul earlier. I think that's where we think it resides. You well, know, you know, some, some, some people do. Um, but, you know, I'll leave you with this and then I'll tell you where to find me. But um, the first organ that's formed in an embryo is the heart, not the brain. And... So you think about, well, why? Why would nature want, right? 
Why yeah. would nature want the heart in, you know, in, yeah. right? got to build everything else, yeah. Yes, or, or you could say, well, put the brain in charge and let the brain drive it all, right? But that's not the way it works. Uh, I think that in itself is just, you know, worthy of inquiry, you know, like what's going on here? And uh, so, you know, I'm pretty convinced that what we're talking about is truth. In fact, my friend Spencer Johnson, who was the co-author of The One Minute Manager, true genius, if you've ever heard of that book. I have. Um, and then, you know, the he, Who Moved My Cheese, which I told you is sold, you know, one of the top 10 business books of all time. He, we were having a conversation at dinner. I knew him. He was you know, a friend of mine, worked for him, and she introduced me, and we became very good friends. And he um, asked me, you know, tell me your thesis. Tell me what you're doing. And then he goes, "How kind of like what you did. Like, are you meeting resistance? Is this, like, is, mm. is people think you're out of your mind? Yes, yes, yes. You know? <laughs> and he goes, you know why it's going to work, Mark? And I just encouraged, I was, like, leaning in at that point because he's telling me it's going to work, you know. And uh, I said, why? And he goes, because it's truth. And that made me cry because wow. that's just like pierces me when you realize that somebody with that kind of wisdom could see what I'm talking about and understand that it's just inevitable that people are going to come to realize that this is truth. And by the way, which way would you rather manage people? Fear and intimidation, feeling like, you know, your workers are your enemies or a threat to you or people to be micromanaged and not trusted or people that you can work with and collaborate with and cooperate with and care about part of your family, if you will, which feels better to you? I think it feels better to me at least to know that when you succeed, that other people are succeeding. It's not you just succeeding at the top of the heap. So, um, but my website is markccrowley.com or you can find me at leadfromtheheart.com. My book is called Lead from the Heart, Transformational Leadership for the 21st Century. You can find it on Amazon. It's being taught in nine American universities. Um, that's so, so good to hear, oh, Mark. So that's the cool thing. And you know, so we're not only teaching um, college students this, but there's a MBA, the University of Iowa MBA program and Brandon University PhD educational leadership. So it's, so if business is slow to get this, at least education's on board. I can see you fighting a smirk off your face, man. I can see how proud you are. So I just want to acknowledge you, my brother, you made a difference for me today. Hopefully my limited audience that will watch this and listen to the podcast will get something out of it. Uh, I love you. And, uh, Man, keep it up one day. I hope to shake your hand and uh, put my arms around you and tell you how much you meant to me. But it was a great conversation. Again, I don't, sometimes I do these conversations. I'm like, what the hell was that all about? And then, you know, it only, it only takes one person to say, hey, I saw Mark Crowley on your show. Wow. I bought his yeah. book. It made a difference for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then, and then you get it because, you know, I, I, I talk to politicians and and musicians and interesting media people and stuff like that. And with all the problems we've got today, I think we're truly forgetting what a great time we live in. And uh, some of the great thinkers are guys like you that are bringing it. And I'm so proud of you as far as getting it into our learning institutions because they're lost, man. They're completely <laughs> lost with some of the ideology they're, they're teaching right now. So thank you very much for your time, Mark. I got you right on time. Listen All right, up. thank you Perfect. so very much. I I'll appreciate you it. another time and maybe we'll do this again, but I appreciate your time so far. Thank you. Nice meeting you. All right, brother. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.
end all. There we go.